Anyway, Exodus chapter 7 this morning, and I would like to spend a little time here uh, dealing with this phrase uh, there out of verse 3, and it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, I, I don't know how much time you spend studying and, and uh, whether you uh, uh, are familiar with Calvinism and Arminianism and, and predestinations and all that stuff. And it seems like uh, there's, there's always division. And uh, as I was telling the teen class and the, the converts class this morning, most division comes from uh, misapplication or misinterpretation of Scripture. Uh, You've got different denominations. Some people believe you can lose your salvation. Therefore, they named a denomination over it. And why? It's because the label tells you what's in the can. That, that's why. That's why I'm really against non-denominational churches, uh, is because you don't know what you're going to get. There's no label on it. And I'll, I'll just I'll help you with that. It's charismatic is what it is. That's, that's, where, it, that's where it heads. I, I've not seen one yet that was not charismatic. And they're goofed up. And what happens is non-denominational, they got, they got a really great spill. It's like, well, denominationalism is, is destroying us. And, uh, and, and I was like, well, okay, I, I can see where that can be over-applied. And I remember Lester Roloff talking about denominationalism. When you begin to emphasize it above Jesus, it's a problem. And that's correct. But always remember this, the label tells you what's in the can. And that's why we're Baptist. And, 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 and even Christ uh, had, and, and the early church had a tag that separated them from the rest. You want to know what it was? Acts chapter 11, about verse 26 says, And they were first called Christians. Wow. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, labels are good. But this morning, I would like to spend some time on this. Now, boys, I do have one other page that once I get going in the Scripture, it's just a phrase. You just got to hit the button, click it. That way, the folks get to see a principle that'll help them understand this hard passage. And hence, the title... I got a, a God-hardened heart. That's the official title. Uh, but here, to help us, is it's going to be a message to help us understand more about God, which is one of the problems of today's age. We do not know enough about God. We're ignorant of how God has worked with man in the Old Testament. We're ignorant with how God has worked uh, in hearts in different dispensations. And all, all, that, that's what makes you walk away with all types of different views and understandings. Uh, and, and that's why some people are confused and led astray. There are doctrines of devils out there. Uh, the Bible's clear to say that, that uh, in the last days, that people will give heed. That means they'll listen to, give heed to doctrines of devils. And uh, it's, it's important that uh, what you believe comes out of the Bible, but that it is properly applied. Let's read some scripture. I want to read from verse 1 down to verse 7, and, and then we'll get this, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. There's a couple things we need to deal with here. He says in verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, 
I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. We need to deal with that. Uh, you gotta, you got to understand what he's saying here. You're like, oh, Moses was a God. Well, it's a little G-O-D. And if it's capitalized in your Bible, you need to get a different Bible. It's a little G-O-D there. All right, and that's important. And, and we'll get to it. He says, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Okay. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now that's the phrase we're going to deal with because if you take it just right here, you're like, oh, Pharaoh did not get a chance. Maybe Pharaoh wanted to get right and couldn't get right because God said, you're all ready. I'm just going to harden it. You don't get a chance, big boy. And that's not what's going on here. But you got to understand the whole context. Now let's move on. And multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel and of the land of Egypt, by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Now we need to throw this in here, verse 7. And Moses was fourscore years old. That's 80. A score is 20. So he's 80 years old. And Aaron, fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. So you're never too old to serve God, all right? We need older people. Uh, that's where we get our experience and our wisdom from. Older folks, uh, just because you're old doesn't mean you're not useful uh, and that you're not worth it or you can't do nothing. Right here, Moses is 80. And his older brother is 83. And notice that God put Moses in charge. Hmm. Well, we're not going to preach on that this morning. And why? It's because I happen to be the eldest in the family. And so I'll avoid texts like this because, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's just God chose Moses. And let's pray and then let's get into the message. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now today. Help us understand the Word of God. Help us to have grace and charity with those that don't. But Lord, help us to always be sensitive to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if there be any that are astray or that any that is lost, Lord, they need to act today to accept you as their Savior before it's too late. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, as we've been preaching our way through Exodus, uh, there's been five principles that I've been uh, doing my best to try to pull out from the text to help you when you deal with crisis of faith in your life. Number one, uh, you should, should remember these because I'm going to keep repeating them. That way, the next time you have what you think is a crisis, uh, you can remember these five principles. Number one, remember you need to thank God for the crisis. And why? is because God has chosen you to represent Him in that particular crisis. You're a representative. And that helps us understand what's going on in verse 1, where God tells Moses, I'm going to make you a God to Pharaoh. 
And you're like, oh, oh, man, Moses is a God. No, he's telling Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be my representative through this whole ordeal. God wasn't coming down and looking Pharaoh in the eyes and having an argument with him. Uh, God employs men. He calls men to go and tell others the message of God. And that's what God is doing here. Moses is a representative to represent Christ and God's will to Pharaoh. That's what he means there. He said, I'm going to make you like a God. He said, you're going to represent me. You're going to say what I tell you to say. You say, how do you know all that? Because that's exactly what the context said. That's how I know that. And this principle, so when you're dealing with a crisis, uh, any type of a crisis, I'm more worried about not if, the, uh, if McDonald's shuts down, you can't get your Big Mac. Uh, I, that's not really a crisis. You just go to Chick-fil-A. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, they got another McDonald's down on that end of town. You'll be all right, you know. No, uh, I'm talking more about crisis of faith in that spiritual battle you face. Remember... God has chosen you. God could have choose anybody to represent him. But because you're a child of the king, if you're born again, God has chosen you to represent him during that crisis. Number two, find a way to make God look good during the crisis. So many times we turn the focus, and I'm, I'm notorious, I'd have to raise my hand first. Uh, if I was going to take hands on, uh, do you always try to make God look good during your crisis? No, not when it's 90 degrees in the house and the air conditioner's out. I'm not looking for a way to make God look good. I'm looking away for a way to make me feel cool. Air got fixed, problem solved. I told uh, the guy that fixed Brother Hubbard, he, he does a good wane. I told him, he, I called him Sunday afternoon. I said, he said, well, I'm kind of out of town. I said, it's a holiday weekend. I hate to even call you. But I want to be first on your list Tuesday morning. Until then, I'm going to relive the good old days. I'm going to enjoy how we all grew up during our childhood. We grew up in old farmhouses with no air conditioning, maybe a fan in the window. Tuesday morning, he calls me. <laughs> He says, hey, Brother Todd, are you at the house? Can I come by? I said, yes. I said, also, I found out what I liked about the good old days. He said, what was that? Nothing. <laughs> He's laughing. He said, yeah, not as tough as you thought she was. I said, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's really not a crisis of faith. But I will tell you, <laughs> I wasn't looking for a way to make God look good in that crisis. Uh, and so we must learn that. One, thank God for the crisis. Number two, look for a way to make God look good during that crisis. I'm thinking of elegance. We've lost our elegance in the body of Christ. Pray fervently. I can't emphasize that point enough. Pray fervently. Fervent prayer means you're going to wrestle with God about it. It, it. it means more than table grace. You know, you're, you're out in public. And if, y'all, you, most people are going to have me pray over the food because they know I like to eat probably more than I, 
I, I probably shouldn't confess that on live stream, should I? When I like to pray, I'm more like Isaac than I am Abraham. Abraham was kind. Isaac was that way. He's like, you know, we want to get to the spiritual things because he was going to bless uh, uh, Esau and Jacob. But he says, let's eat first. And that's kind of me. You know, I'm going to eat for you. Let's eat first. We're going to do this. You know, we're going to go on visitation. We're going to serve God. We're going to do this. But let's eat first. We're eating, right? <laughs> But pray fervently. It means you're going to wrestle with God in prayer. It means you're going to bring it up again and again. But you're going to pray to have God's will be done, not yours. And a lot of times it might not work out the way you thought it should have worked out. Many times in my life I'll pray about a particular thing, thinking that God's going to work it out one way and it's worked out totally different. And then come to find out later, it worked out so much better the way it worked out and God worked it out than it would have worked out if it had done exactly what I wanted. I, I thank God that I serve a God like that. That God knows what's best for us at all times. So fervently pray, then wait on God for the answer. And that's what we're seeing. Moses has been waiting on God for the answer. And then God sends the answer. Let me tell you this. Sometimes you'll pray and God won't give you a quick answer. Sometimes you might pray for years and God not give you an answer until years later. Sometimes it's because God wants to see how bad you really want it. Are you just going to pray for it because that's how the mood strikes you and then you're going to forget about it? Or are you going to keep coming to God with it? Sometimes He wants to know, are you going to be okay with His will if He answers it differently than the way you want it answered? See, the Lord knows our hearts and He knows our thoughts afar off. But then lastly, the number five... Take that next step of faith. That helps you maintain forward progress with God. So there are five things there that we're trying to learn when we're faced with a crisis of faith. One, thank God for the crisis. One of the greatest sins of today is the sin of ingratitude. We are not thankful enough. You, you think this morning with me just for a minute. Let's count some blessings. We're not living in the Ukraine. We're, we're not living in Indonesia. Where they just walked in and killed a bunch of Christians. The Hindus did. You see? We're, we're not having to dodge bombs. We're not in a bomb shelter. Uh, most of us right now are probably thinking about lunch. If you're not, I am. And, and, and what we're going to eat. And really, I'm not spending too much time on it because I heard something about salad. And, but I know I need to do it. I'm at that point in life where I know i got to eat some greens. That's what my doctor's telling me. It's what Jenny's telling me. It's what everybody's telling me. And, and I know that, but I'm stiff-necked. I'm rebellious. You know how it is. It's the same, same stuff. It's like when I get up here preaching on sin, you all do the same thing. It's like me trying to tell you that you need to eat greens and salads and go, go natural and all that. You got that. You got that. All right. But, <laughs> forgot what I was saying. Boy, I'm doing good. Let's move on. <laughs> that, that's the Holy Spirit saying, move on. <laughs> and that's good. Now let's get into this. We see that God made Moses a God to Pharaoh, to represent Christ in this crisis. He'd chosen us. Let me make what we call practical application. He has chosen you and me today to represent Him to this lost world. 
that will affect how we live our lives and how we look and how, how we think because you are God's representative. They can't see God. And the only God some people get is what they could see in your life. And if you look more like the devil's crowd than God's crowd, that's a problem, isn't it? We've lost our elegance. We have been chosen by God that are saved to represent Him to this lost and dying world. And it's important how we look, how we smell, and how we act. And let me throw this in here for you where we go. That's why Christians need to act like Christians. They need to look like Christians. They need to go places that Christians go because we're representatives. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're actually ambassadors for Christ. We have lost that concept in Christendom today. We have lost the elegance that comes with serving Christ we don't want to be elegant no more. And you say, well, elegance, that's prideful. No, have some self-respect about yourself. Act like God is your Savior. But let's get to this phrase, because I've got to spend some time here. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, if you read your Bible... Maybe you read three chapters a day or two chapters a day or a chapter a day. It's real easy to lose the context of what's going on. And so you might have last week read chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then all of a sudden get around to this week or a month later and begin to read chapter 7. And all of a sudden, your Old Testament reading starts here in Exodus chapter 7. You see that phrase, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. And then you're maybe reading in Romans chapter 9 over there where the Bible says that God raised Moses up or and Pharaoh up. And he, he raised Pharaoh up to fit him as a vessel of destruction. And you're like, oh my soul, oh man, maybe these other guys are right. Uh, maybe some people are, have already been chosen to go to hell and some people are chosen to go to heaven. Have you ever noticed that anybody wants to believe like that have all already been born again? You ever noticed that, that, that a hyper-Calvinist, uh, you've never, have you ever heard anybody, and if somebody has, you've got to let me know about it. Have you ever had somebody say, I'd love to get saved, but I've been predestined to hell. I'm going to die and go to hell, but I really want to be saved, but God's already fitted me as a vessel of destruction to die and go to hell. You ever heard somebody say that? Of course not. Why? Because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. God says, I'm not willing that any should perish. So how could God make people fitted as a vessel of destruction to go to hell, and no matter what they think about it, and then later say, well, I'm not willing that any should perish. Uh, God's not a politician. I understand our politicians do, do stuff like that. They play word games with us. Uh, they lie. We call that a, just a good old-fashioned lie. God's not a man that he should lie. God's not going to say in one place, I'm not willing that any should repair, perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not going to put a verse like John 3.16 in there and say, For God so loved the world. And then later say, Well, <laughs> <laughs> Only the elect in the world. That's not what he says. That's nowhere in the Bible. But see, there was a phrase over here. I want to believe that it was in 3, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. 
God's telling Pharaoh before, or Moses, before he ever goes down to Egypt, here's what the Lord said. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. You see, God told Moses, he says, look, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a couple of things here. Number one, in this Bible, you'll never read anywhere where Pharaoh said, oh, I just want to do that which is good and right. I want to bless the people of Israel and to let them go. You'll never read that. It's not there. God did not harden Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will. I'll say that again. God did not harden Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will. We have free will. Now, here's where Calvinists and I will disagree because a Calvinist limits God. They say God has to predestine certain things, and that's the way it has to be done. I don't limit God. The God I serve is able to do what He wants to do 100% of the time in spite of the free will of man. My God doesn't have limits. He said, well, how can that be? Well, you need to be familiar with two words this morning. Number one, a word called omnipresent. It's a truth about God. We need to understand more about God. God is omnipresent. That means He is everywhere present at all times. That means in the past, in the present, but in the future. God's been there. And God could see, think of this, time Let's say this is the beginning of time. God created the heaven and earth. This is the end of time when God makes the new heaven and the earth. Okay? Everything that happens in our timeline happens between these two points of time. God's not stuck in time. God, in, God created time. God is outside the realm of our time. God's already been past our farthest future. That's what omnipresent means. He is everywhere present. So he had already looked into his foreknowledge, and nothing wrong with foreknowledge, all the way and seen what Pharaoh was going to choose and what he was going to do. God had already seen how Pharaoh was going to be destroyed in the Red Sea. God had already been past that. God's already passed the great white throne judgment where he cast him into the lake of fire. That's omnipresent. But it goes with another word called omniscient. Omniscient. Our God is omniscient. Now its direct definition is all-knowing. Now if you have problems with that, now I'm not being facetious with you guys. You guys are really bright and you're getting this. But there are, as I was telling the Sunday school class, there are Baptist preachers in pulpits today that do not know the definition of omniscient. And here's what they'll say. Well, God just knows the highlights. God doesn't know all the little fine details in the valleys. He doesn't know every little decision you're ever going to make. God can't know that. God only knows all the highlights. I got news for you. 
God couldn't know the highlights if He didn't know the little things. All-knowing, let me put that and translate that for you in the original language. You ready? It means knowing all. That's what it means. Wasn't that deep? He's like, really? Is that the Hebrew? I have no idea. I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> but I assure you, because I know we got a preserved word of God in the AV 1611, that omniscient means all-knowing. And if you struggle with what that means, just turn it around. Knows all. God knows everything. And so God already knew what Pharaoh was going to choose. I don't ever let that sidetrack me. Try to say, well, if God knows who's getting saved, who ain't getting saved, yes, yes, and, 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 where are you going with that? That's something completely different than you trying to make the statement that, well, God's just created some people for destruction and they're going to go to hell no matter what they want to do about it. You won't find that in the Bible. Well, I know a verse over there in Hebrews about Esau. Esau wanted to repent with bitter tears and God wouldn't let him. Really? 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 Yeah, I know about that verse, but it doesn't say what you think it says. You go back and read that story about Esau. Esau wasn't going to repent himself. He wanted his daddy Isaac to repent. And he was so moved, he was moved to the point of tears, he wanted Isaac to take back the blessing that he'd given to Jacob, because Jacob come in and stole it. He said, I want you to take that back. Give it to me, because the Bible already told you that Esau was a profane person. He said, yeah, but God said there in Hebrews that he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Uh-huh. You want to know where that was written in the Old Testament? Uh, where? Malachi chapter 1. That was after the life that, I, that Jacob and Esau lived. After their course had already been run at the end of their life. Because Esau kept rejecting God. And so God wrote in Malachi chapter 1 about verse 6. He says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Uh-huh. You want to know why God can make that statement? He's already passed the great white throne judgment. You already know how the thing played out. But it has nothing to do with predestinating people to hell. And they, can't, they don't have a chance. That makes your Bible counterdict. Because then whosoever will may come. What's that mean? Just the elect? No. It means whosoever. In the Greek it means whosoever. It's, it's easy. It's really easy. God is omnipotent. All-powerful, omnipresent, and omniscient. Now, aha, there it is. This is the process. I'm going to get into the process of the God-hardened heart. God never hardened Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will. But when light is rejected and rightful obedience refused, this will harden the heart. Let me give you another verse on it. We're heading to Romans chapter 1. Let me give you another verse in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says this, and this applies. He's in the context there in Hebrews 3 of believers. So 
This message has application to save folks. The Bible says this, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I told you sin has side effects. Some of y'all are probably old enough that you've got to take some medications. And every medication has side effects, correct? Uh-huh. Right, you can't get around it. Well, sin has side effects. And one of the side effects to sin and leaving sin unattended in your life, it hardens your heart. Now that applies to saved people because the context over there is saved people. But it, it applies to lost people too. It's why it's dangerous to live in sin. Because the longer you live in sin, the side effect of that is death, of course. But it's a hard heart. That's what your Bible says. So that's why I come up with the phrase... I found the phrase. Let me correct that. When light is rejected and rightful obedience refused, this then hardens the heart. I paraphrased it. And that is a truth statement. So how does that work? Well, if you was to take your Bible to Romans chapter 1, let's do that. As we hurry along... And this will help you understand this. We're not having an issue with it. It's just, it's what's in the next chapter, and i got to preach it. So uh, we're going to preach on it a little bit. Romans chapter 1. Pharaoh declares, who is the Lord? Remember that, chapter 5? God sends Moses into Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice. I will not let, he even uses the word will, Pharaoh's will, I will not let Israel go. God said, okay. That's what you want? Then we're going to begin the hardening process. When light is rejected, that's what Pharaoh did, and rightful obedience refused, he wouldn't let them go, this will harden the heart. Let's look that at this in real time. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. So God's going to make sure you know what's going on. That's why he's called preachers and pastors and evangelists. They're God's mouthpiece to preach the truth of the Word of God. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now this is God telling you something about the truth. Everybody, let me put it like this, nobody is born believing evolution. Just like nobody's born an atheist. That's a truth statement. You become one. It's part of a hardening process. I'm going to show you how that plays out. And you, as believers, need to be careful and mindful of this. Just because you're saved, when you bull up your neck against the truth of God's Word and refuse to grow in Christ, you're rejecting light and rightful obedience, and you're hardening your heart, and that's a dangerous thing. Because I'm going to show you something. 
Think of this like the wintertime, you got a puddle of water, and all of a sudden it gets cold, and ice starts forming on that water. Ice forms in layers. But the longer that goes, the thicker that ice gets to at one point, or at some point, you can drive a car on that ice. You say, yeah, right. That's what God's describing about hardening a person's heart. They continually reject God's will and truth and refuse to obey what God says to do. And every time you say no to God, there's another layer of ice that is built up between you and God. Now, I know we need to preach on this, and I know I'm really, I'm preaching against Calvinism and, 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 and so on and so forth, but it has application to you and I, because when the altars get cold, and people won't come to pray during the invitation, and they don't come and get right, I know that there's a hardening that's going on, and there's a dangerous side effect to that. So be careful about that, about the deceitfulness of sin. Now watch what he does. So God makes it clear that they are without excuse in verse 20. And that's what God did to Pharaoh. He showed him the miracles. He gave him the word. And what did Pharaoh do? He said, nah. And we'll talk about that later as we get deeper into that story. Because you have the devil and the devil's children. They do some miracles too. So they're there to help in that process of you to, re to reject God. The devil has a part to play. Because that when they knew God, Pharaoh knew who God was. Amen. He had just been told. They glorified him not as God. That's right. That's what Pharaoh did. He said, who's the Lord? Neither were thankful. There's that word thankful again. Yeah, yeah. You, you remember this old preacher. As dumb as you think I am, and I don't think none of you think that, you make sure you thank God for the crisis you might find yourself in. There's something to that. The sin of ingratitude is a great sin. It's a wicked. But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see that? And then they begin, they profess themselves to be wise. They become fools. Number 23, and they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. That's what Pharaoh, he's an idolater. He's worshiping images. They change the image of God, made like unto a corruptible man. Now, you know how I come across that. That's why I'm careful. There ain't going to be no Santa Clauses in the pulpit. <laughs> now, I love Christmas. But Christmas will be about Christ. Christ in Christmas. Y'all can have Santa Claus at your house. And, and I, I like that time of the year. But I'm not going to mar the image of Christ with a Santa Claus figure. Let's move on. We'll see. And, and to birds. Now, I'm not going to preach against Thanksgiving. <laughs> and a four-footed beast and creeping things. There's your Easter bunnies. And I love chocolate Easter bunnies. Don't, 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 don't walk out of here like, oh, preacher don't like chocolate. I love chocolate. Can't you tell that <laughs> looking at me? <laughs> Take what I say in context, please. <laughs> but we, don't, we want to be careful not to mar the image of Christ. 
Wherefore God gave them up. There's your first hardening. You see that? When God has been clearly revealed, and then He tells you what He's going to do if you refuse, and you choose your free will to reject God, He gives you up to uncleanness through the lust He gives you up to your own will. You see that? The lust of your own heart. Did you see that? There it is. Now, we can get deeper into that, but I'm not trying to preach on the different revolutions you're, you're looking at to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. That's your sexual revolution. That's what that is. You're going to walk away from the message today knowing that America's goose is cooked. That's the sexual revolution. That ice is getting thicker. Because they rejected Christ. This used to be a Christian. This was founded as a Christian nation. We're more wicked than most of the rest of the world. Who changed the truth of God into lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this cause, God gave them up. There's the second hardening. To vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's your homosexual revolution. That's what that is. It's a hardening. It's a side effect from rejecting the truth of God. And likewise also the men, having the natural use of their woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet, and even as they did not like to retain God, in their knowledge God gave them, he don't say up this time, he says over, it's done. That's that final hardening, that's the transsexual revolution. That's what's going on here. Now, I didn't mean to get into all that. But while I'm here, and the Holy Spirit put it on, I'm not afraid to get on it. I don't hobby horse it, but it's wicked. And it's dangerous. And God gives them over to a reprobate mind. Do you see how God continually works with an individual? And as they keep rejecting truth, it hardens their heart and they become hardened and they get harder. That's why it's really rare to see an 80-year-old person get saved. I didn't say it's impossible. I said it's a rare thing. Why? A lot of, a lot of ice to get through. A hardening. God reveals His will. God reveals the wrath. Man rejects the truth. God gives man up to his own will, his own lust. Man changes God's truth into a lie. God gives man up to his own vile affection. Man does not want to retain God in his knowledge. I was watching an abortion protest where they were kicking the Bible around. There's something wrong with people like that. They have no fear of God. Yeah, that's right. They're right here. Now, I, I love those people because they need to be saved. I, I don't want you to think that uh, we're, not, we're, not, we're not left here to represent Christ to hate. We're not, God did not come in the world to condemn the world. We're here to 
preach the truth like Moses did to Pharaoh, even though they reject it, even though they hate it, even though they make their life cruel. You love them. You tell them the truth because it's God that'll judge it. There is a day. But we're not to lose our elegance in presenting the truth to others in this world. We're not to lose the ideal and the thought and the truth that we represent Christ. And I've never seen the Lord do anything like that. There's another verse in closing now. This is more of a teaching message than a preaching. I want to preach, but it's teaching today, and that's okay. That gives you good balance. It's not all about hollering, running, screaming, and doing jumping jacks and everything like that. Sometimes just some good old-fashioned thought, good biblical thought, help us understand these hard passages in the Word of God. You're like, oh, man, that is a hard one. It is. It is. And we need to understand more about God. There's coming a time. There in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, about verse 9. The dangers of rejecting the truth. Now let me bring this home to us. I've preached quite a bit on lost people and the dangers of sitting there knowing you need to be saved. And you know the Holy Spirit, because if you're thinking about it, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, you know He's telling you the truth. Every time you say no, you say, well, I'll just do it later. I'll do it later. I, I don't know about this yet. Who's the Lord? Who's the Lord? I, look, God's not real to me yet. There's another layer of ice being formed. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 9 says, Even him who's coming is after the working of Satan. It's Satan and his devils that are messing with you to say, ah, you know, you're not totally convinced yet. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, never forget that. The devil can do things also, miracles, lying wonders, and signs. He can give you signs. You're looking for a sign, devil give you one. We're not looking for signs. Careful. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. This is somebody that says, I know I need to be saved, but I don't want to be saved because I got more sin to do. People, there's a lot of people that don't want to get saved because they know that means change. And they want to keep drinking, smoking, dope, doing drugs, laying out, chasing women, doing all the stuff that that world does. And they don't want to stop that. They don't want to change. They don't want to think and, and repent of that. They, they're like, I, no, I like it, God. Well, God says there's pleasures in sin for a season. Yeah. You keep putting that thing off. Look what happens. And for this cause, because you reject the truth. This applies to Christians. A preacher preaches, and you know it's wrong to drink, and you still think it's okay to drink. That's refusing the light and refusing to obey the truth of Scriptures. And there's another layer of ice being formed. And he says, For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Uh-oh. That they should believe a lie 
God will let you believe a lie if you're not going to believe Him. Ezekiel chapter 14, about verse 3 or 4, said, God will answer you according to the idols you've got in your heart. You want to play games with God? God will play them. But I got news for you. You ain't winning that. Just like Pharaoh said, he, he didn't win that. When you begin to reject truth and light and disobey God and, and not do what you know is right to do, you're building another layer of ice. And there'll come a time when it won't even bother you no more. That's what's wrong with 90% of this world. They've come so far, they've been given over. They got reprobate minds. There's a problem. Pharaoh, it's going to cost him his life. If you wake up and you come to church next week and a lot of us aren't here, your goose is cooked because that means the rapture happened. And God said, because you wouldn't get saved when the time was right, I'm going to allow you to receive a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned and believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's Pharaoh. So you could say, well, God hardened his heart. Mm -hmm. He kept trying to get him to repent. You ever heard the term, the, the term tool hardened? I worked in the trades. I was a plaster by trade. I use a margin trial quite a bit. And one of the first things you learn when you buy tools is you need to buy a good brand name tools. The cheap ones, they don't hold up. But even good brand tools like Marshalltown, it's a very good brand. Uh, you got craft tools. They're good when it comes to trials and margin. Now you're going to pay good money for them. But when you use a margin trial every day, Day in, day out, year in, year out. It does what we call, it tool hardens. And one day you'll go to use that tool and it'll break on you because it's lost its flexibility. It lost its softness. You know, you can forge steel too hard where it shatters like glass. You can't do anything with it. It's too brittle. You can tool harden a tool and it become like that. It's a great illustration of a person's heart. Don't become tool hardened on God. Because there will come a day when you want to be used and you'll shatter. Lost person, you keep saying no to God like Pharaoh did. And there'll come a day when it won't even bother you no more. And you'll be damned. And you'll die and go to hell. Not because God wanted you there, but because you wanted you there. Because you just didn't think God was real. You were like Pharaoh. Who is the Lord? That shall obey his voice. I hear you, preacher.
I don't know if I like that. That's fine. That choice is yours. But you're hardening yourself. And God will let you harden yourself until you come to the breaking point and then it's done. Don't get to the point where God turns you over. Now a Christian, you're saved. God's just going to take you home. But a lost person... He'll be done with you like he was Pharaoh. A saved person, God just take you home. But you won't be good for anything. Don't let that layer of ice keep growing on God. Get right with God. Or it'll be God saying, I harden their heart. But God never hardens the heart against that person's will. God gives you what you want. So it's important that we want the right things with God. Let's all stand this morning. Let's not be like Pharaoh. Let's be like Moses. We want to be the mouthpiece of God. We want to represent Christ. We want to be pliable. Yes, we need to be firm in our foundation, pliable in the master's hands. I think I had a picture of a potter, potter's clay. We need to be pliable for the master so he can mold us and make us. I'm afraid God has to break us too many times before he can use us. Be careful with that ice. It'll eventually get so thick you can drive a car on it. It just won't affect you no more. That's a shame. Song of invitation, please. If you want to come forward and pray.